and this is Pastor Daniel McGee with Connection Church in New York City. Thank you for listening to our church's weekly podcast. We hope God uses this sermon to encourage you and to increase your faith in Him. If you'd like to know more about our church, please check out our website at ConnectionNYC.com or like us on Facebook at ConnectionNYC. Grace and peace be with you. Reading from the New Testament, Book 1, Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 8. And coming to him as to a living stone which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value, then, is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were also appointed. This is the word of the Lord. What we say about ourselves is very important. The narrative that's going on in your mind that communicates to yourself who you are, what value you have, all these things, they're very important to us. And I wonder, what's the narrative that's playing in your mind? What are the things that you are saying about yourself? Do you believe you're fearfully and wonderfully made by God, or do you believe that you're an accident? Do you believe that, that you're valued in the world, or do you believe that no one cares about you? There, there are a lot of things that we can be thinking, and so one of the um, truths I want us to gather from the message tonight, which is entitled, Stop Building Yourself Up, is that when we try to build ourselves up, instead of allowing God to build us up, we create ourselves, we create for ourselves this environment that will eventually let us down and will cause us to fail. So I entitled the message, Stop Building Yourself Up for Good Reason. Because without God at the center of our quest to to build a good and meaningful and worthwhile life, our best efforts, no matter how well we do, will fall drastically short of our hopes. I'm uh, I used to be anyway. I don't watch much of it anymore. But I used to be a huge fan of SNL, Saturday Night Live, back in the '90s. And I, I love comedy, and I. I know I, I use jokes a lot, and maybe to, my, to a fault, um, but I, I enjoy making people laugh, and SNL had a skit back in the 90s that was called um, Stuart Smalley. You may remember him. Stuart Smalley was a character, and he had uh, a TV show or a, a short little show he did called Daily Affirmations with Stuart Smalley. He started his show by saying this. He would look into a mirror, and he would say, I'm going to have a great show today and help a lot of people, because I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, 
and doggone it, people like me. You remember that? Some of you do. Some of you are going to look it up soon, and you'll laugh. But the episode quickly went from him starting it with this positive mindset. It quickly went to him contradicting the very words that he said because he really didn't believe them. In fact, he would usually, right at the beginning, apologize for last week's show by saying, it wasn't my best show last week, and I apologize, but, but that's okay. It's all right. And so he would affirm himself. But somehow, his narrative would, narrative would shift from positive to the polar opposite negative. He would go from extreme affirmations of himself to extreme doubt, extreme disappointment. And of course, SNL went to the extremes and made it funny. He even, in one episode, started insulting the audience, um, which was funny. I won't actually quote what he said, but watch it when we're not in church. Um, it, was a, it was a funny skit, but it serves as a good example to my point tonight, is that when we do build ourselves up, eventually it's going to let us down. We're not created, we're not designed to be the one at the center of our life. We're not created to be the one that's building ourselves up, but instead God has created us with the idea that we are to surrender to the Lord and to allow Him to build us up. So I want all of us to stop building ourselves up and instead surrender to the Lord and allow Him to build us up. So there are three ways you can follow along in the outline. There are three ways that I want to encourage you to allow God to build you up in your life. And we'll start with number one. Number one, allow God to build you up in your identity. In your identity. And it says the living and spiritual house is what we're going to look at. Identity confusion is maybe at an all-time high in our world today. People confuse their identity with what they do at work. One of the first questions many people ask is, what do you do for a living? Well, we think that's who we are. A lot of times people say, well, are you seeing anyone? Are you married? And we think relationships define who we are. And that's not who we are. And in our world today, sexuality and gender are identifying characteristics for people. Who are you attracted to? This is who you are, the culture says. Or who do you feel like you are? This is what the culture says you are. But the Bible says none of these things define who we are. That's not our identity. None of them can give you your true identity. They're characteristics about who you are or how you're made, but that's not your identity. In fact, if you want to go through the Scripture and really find out your true identity, you can sum it up in one of two categories. According to the Scripture, you're either dead or you're alive. In Ephesians and Colossians and Romans and other places as well, but it says very specifically in those three books, it says that we are either dead in our sin or we are alive in Christ. And so that's what we should be focusing on. Too many times we get into debates and we, we talk in great length about important issues from a Christian standpoint. They're important issues from a cultural standpoint. But they're not the core issue. The core of the gospel is this, that we are dead in our sin, and the only hope for us to become alive and not suffer the eternal consequence, which is an eternal death and eternal separation from God, is through trusting in what God has done for us through His Son, Jesus Christ. 
That is the, the crux of the gospel. That's what we should be centered on. Doesn't mean we shouldn't have opinions and values and stances and, and, uh, and all those things for all these other issues, but that is where identity stems. We're either dead or alive. What you do is your job is important. What you do with relationships, what your sexuality and gender is, they're important. But the question I want you to consider, first and foremost, is am I dead or am I alive? What's your identity according to what the Lord says? And we're going to see a little more of what identity looks like in the Lord tonight through 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. If you'll follow along with me, either in your Bible or on the screen behind me. It says, and coming to him, and that's speaking of Christ, and coming to Christ as to a living stone, and that living stone is now referring to Christ, which has been rejected by men, but is choice. Now, choice is high quality, okay? It's been set apart. That's the best of the best. But is choice and precious, precious, I said that funny, didn't I? Is choice and precious, in the sight of God. You also, so now shifting over to the people, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So Peter in these verses, all of these verses we're looking at tonight, five of them, he uses the word stones. And what he's doing in midrash fashion, which is not like a rash around your midsection, but midrash is an ancient Jewish style of writing. And so he was writing this in that fashion, and it's it's a genre of literature. And so he plays on this word stones, and he uses it to make a point. And he says that you or Christ is a living stone, and you also as living stones, plural. He's saying you have an individual value for the Lord. You are a living stone. You're one of many living stones. There's this individuality that God has for you, that you are chosen, that you are set apart, that there is value in your life. Jesus has a plan for your life. You specifically as a person are vital to his plan. You're important to his plan. And you're worthy enough that he has chosen you to be part of that plan. So many other aspects of of being one of the the living stones that uh, a part of God's spiritual house are are important for us to understand is that, that you were loved individually. And so he's referring to you individually as these living stones. But he goes from this individual aspect to the plural aspect, this corporate aspect. To a spiritual house, that you're a living stones and you're in this spiritual house. The spiritual house is a connotation that you're not on your own, even though you're an individual stone, you're part of a house. You're part of this community, you're part of a family, you're together in this, that you're never alone. You're not to practice your Christianity and your faith alone, somewhere isolated from everyone else, but you're to join in, as your identity says, as one of the stones in this huge house that God has. Never isolated. You belong with one another, that you're family. He says here in those those verses, he says, you also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. You are being built up as this. That's a... 
I don't know how to explain it other than just saying it, but that's the in, it's mostly translated in the indicative form, but most people, or a lot of scholars believe that it's an imperative, which would mean this. Instead of saying, you're being built up, it should say, let yourselves be built up. So it's more of a command, an imperative of something, do this. And so there's this connotation in there that's not just, oh, you're just sitting back and letting it happen, uh, or, or you're just, it's just sitting back and it's being done for you, but there's this responsibility on your part to allow the Lord to build you up into this. There's something we can do to resist this, and I, I think most of us would agree that when we're obstinate and we don't want to do something, it's very difficult for others to do something with us. If we're not receptive to that, if we're not uh, actively receiving a gift or participating in something, then we're not truly getting what we need to be getting. So there's this faith aspect on our parts that we must be allowing God to build us up in this way, which is where we get the, where I got the, the title tonight, Stop Building Yourself Up and Let the Lord Build You, build you Up. It is a surrendering. It is a, a, an understanding that you go underneath His Lordship, but you have to do that. You receive and accept your individuality that Christ gives you, and you embrace it. He loves you as a person individually. At the same time, you surrender all of that individuality for the good of the church and for the glory of God. Everything good that you love about me as Daniel, I'm giving back to the good of the church and for the glory of God. You can't be who God has created you to be on your own. You can't be who God has created you to be living in isolation on your own. Can you be a Christian and not go to church? Yes. But you can't be a very good one. Because you're designed to live in a community. You can't become who God wants you to be in isolation. Somehow, uniquely, God's designed you, every one of you, to be an integral part of his spiritual house. So that his house is vibrant. And that everyone is contributing to this. As Stuart Smalley would say, you're good enough and you're smart enough and I would change it and say, and doggone it, God loves you. He's got a plan for you. Your identity is that you are a living stone in a spiritual house. Number two, let God build you up, and your identity was the first one, and now we're looking at purpose. Let God build you up in your purpose. So first your identity, and now your purpose. And your purpose is that you are a holy priesthood of praise. So finding your purpose in life can be a daily struggle. Can I get a witness? What is the purpose in going to work today? What is the purpose of this train delay every day? <laughs> so finding your purpose in life can be a daily struggle. Work struggles, we wonder oftentimes, is this the right job for me? Have I hit the limit? Do I need to look elsewhere? Is there room for advancement? Why don't I feel fulfilled in this role? Relationship struggles, is this the right person for me? Did I make a mistake? Or will I ever meet the right person? Sexuality and gender, why would I have these desires or feelings if I can't express them fully right now? Why is this tension here? What's the purpose for this? You see, it's very difficult to, to live a life following the Lord obediently. It is. But it's fulfilling when we do. It's a struggle to go against the currents of the culture. And it can be difficult to know which feelings and which emotions that we have 
that are from God and which ones are not. But living a life faithful to God is full of purpose. It's full of hope. And it's full of a glorious expectation that God is for me and he has a good plan for my life. So what is your purpose? How do we get that from this scripture tonight? Look with me in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 again. Again, Peter is speaking to the people. He says, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house or let yourselves be built up as a spiritual house for, now we're getting to a purpose. Why is this happening? For these reasons. For a holy priesthood so that you will become a holy priesthood to do something, to offer up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. There's the purpose, to become a holy priesthood of praise. So the holy priesthood here means that no longer in the Old Testament um, there were only the priests that could go into the Holy of Holies and offer sacrifices for mankind, but no longer are the priests the only ones who can give acceptable sacrifices to God. And this is a wonderful privilege that we have now. All people who call on Jesus as Lord and Savior become part of this holy priesthood. Man, woman, every ethnicity, every gender, whatever. Everyone who calls on the Lord as Lord Jesus as Lord becomes part of the holy priesthood. And we are transformed, we are cleaned, we are holy, we are pure to the point that we can enter into the presence of God without being struck down. We enter in as children. This is who we become. And we offer these spiritual sacrifices, and you may be thinking, well, what are the spiritual sacrifices that we offer to God? That's, I don't know what that means. Well, here's the answer. Spiritual sacrifices simply put are praises. It's worship. It's acknowledging Jesus as Lord. We bring true worship to God in these spiritual sacrifices. No longer are animals sacrificed for our sins because Jesus became the Lamb of God. He was the sacrifice. So now we bring praises to God for the lamb that God has offered for us for our sins. And we bring worship to God. And we say, be glorified. Thank you, Jesus. That instead of me suffering death for my sin, Jesus, you suffered death for me. And you were raised again gloriously. And I praise you for giving me life. We are purposed to worship God. That's that's your purpose in life. And yes, we show that in many different ways through our work, through our relationships. There are ways that we can worship God in those uh, relationships in our lives and the responsibilities in our lives. But everything around us should be centered on the fact that we were created to worship God. One of the things I like to do is sing. And uh, I usually have the music up a little too loud at home and my wife will text me downstairs and say, hey, can you turn that down just a little bit? And so, but I usually sing and um, uh, I like to, uh, you know, I don't know if I'm good at it, singing, but when, but when I have my earbuds in and I sing, I sound really good. You know what I'm talking about? Because you, you, know, you, know, you think you sound like they do and so I sound good. I enjoy it. And so singing is one way we can worship God. Um, for me, it makes a little more sense, maybe, because sometimes when I read the Bible, it feels like work to me as a pastor, because sometimes I'm preparing messages, and so one of the things I do proactively is, is I sing, because I don't do that every week, 
I don't prepare for that, so it's joyful worship for me. So I have playlists, and uh, I, when I'm on the train going to work or whatever, I usually have my ear, earbuds in because I don't want to talk to anybody. Um, but I'm also li- I'm listening to music, or I'm listening to a podcast of, of, of different uh, pastors out there. And another way that we worship God is through prayer. And this is interesting, that we're living stones in a spiritual house. And what did Jesus say when he threw the temple uh, tables over when they had made it into a, a den of thieves, basically? They were uh, a merchant store instead of a house of prayer, right? He says, my father's house is a house of prayer. And you've perverted it. And so if we're God's spiritual house, how much more should we be people of prayer? How much more should, I mean, we think of be glorified in this temple, and this is a church that is set aside, and it is a church building that is set aside, but the temple of God is you and me. That we are living stones in a spiritual house, and, and so prayer is this dependency upon God, and, and I, I just wonder, how often do you pray? You're a living stone in a spiritual house, and prayer is your pers- purpose. Communion with God, communicating with Him. And then through that, telling others of Jesus is a way we can worship the Lord and offer spiritual sacrifices of praise that are acceptable to God. Who around you needs faith and hope in their lives right now? That's become a topic of, of conversation because of the, the events that keep happening and the tragedy in Miami or uh, the Miami area. Uh, we were down uh, for a vacation in Miami and Larry texted me and there was uh, the, the shooting at Parkland High School. And um, I was only, it was 50 miles from where we were. And, you know, there were people that knew this child, basically, a 19-year-old kid. And there were warning factors. But I just wonder, if we as a church were more engaged with people and we were looking for opportunities to speak hope into their lives, how many more of these things would be avoided? How many times, instead of um, responding hatefully to someone honking at us when we're driving around the city, if we respond in peace, how much more uh, joy would we have and how much more joy would permeate the city? I didn't honk any (laughs) on my trip to Miami. Zero. I get back to New York, I don't even get across the GW Bridge, and I'm honking. You know why? Because you have to. But I honked nicely. I was nice about it, and I wasn't angry. I'm just like, get out of my way. You're a moron. No, I didn't say that. Anyway, it would be funny if you, well, I'm getting sidetracked here, but anyway. So, I just wonder, <laughs> how much more would the world be better if we infuse joy into the lives of those around us? You have a purpose in life, and that purpose is to bring glory and holy sacrifices of praise to God. Okay, number three. You're doing great tonight. Number three. Let God build you up in your security, in your security. And our security is that our foundation is Jesus Christ. That's our security in life. If you're building yourself up with your own hands and your own words, and you're not building yourself up or you're not allowing yourself to be built up on God's promises, then eventually you'll experience the limitations of your own strength. Eventually you're going to get to where you can't take any more. But if you're letting God build you up with His promises then you'll experience the limitless power of God in your life. You see, work, no matter what job you do, will never fully satisfy you. At some point, if that's your identity, it will let you down. 
relationships, no matter how great he or she is, will eventually let you down in some way because they cannot fully satisfy your cravings and your hearts and your desires. And sexuality, no matter how you choose to express it, at some point it will let you down because it will not fully satisfy. But the security as a Christian is that our foundation that we're building our lives on, instead of it being work or relationships or sexuality or whatever it is, the foundation is Jesus Christ. In, in these verses we're about to read to see our security, Peter is still playing on the words stones. And he jumps from Isaiah 28 to Psalm 118, and then jumps back to Isaiah 8 to give us three uh, stone references here. And so we're going to look at First um, Peter chapter 2, verse 6 and following. This is what it reads there. Verse 6 says, For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. And your translation may say, will not be put to shame. That's what that means. It's not just that he's going to be disappointed, but he's not going to be put to shame. That's quoting Isaiah 28. The next verse says, This precious value, then, is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, now he quotes Psalm 118, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone. And in verse 8, he says, it jumps to Isaiah chapter 8, he says, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word. The message is what that means the word, the message, and to this doom they were also appointed, which means that this was their destiny, to reject the stone and be doomed. Interestingly, there are some variations when how, uh, in how Peter uses the words to talk about stones here. The first one in verse 6, he, he says cornerstone, it's translated cornerstone, and he talks about you never be put to shame. He's saying this is the foundation. This is the stone that's set first, that upon the rest of the building is... Whether it's straight or crooked depends upon the laying of this first cornerstone. It's very important to set the first one right because upon it will affect the rest of the building. That's the first one, this foundation. The second one in verse 7 talks about this precious value of a stone. In fact, the, the NIV translates this, instead of cornerstone, it, it translates it capstone. And so it's this precious value. It's the stone of honor. It's the stone of, of privilege that's put in, a, put in a place of honor, it's exalted. And so he's talking about Christ being the exalted stone in the building as well. In fact, there's a stone on this church in that corner back there on the back, which would be the front of the church, but it, it has the year this church was built. And it says, uh, built in 1926 is when this church was built. It's a precious stone. And so I don't know if that's what they considered the capstone or whatever, but it would be something similar to that. Typically, it's up high and exalted. The third one is, instead of a cornerstone and then a capstone, the third one is a stumbling stone. You ever been walking on a mountain trail or just a New York City sidewalk and stumbled you know, because they're, some are raised? Um, but this is a stumbling stone, and the reason he's talking about this stumbling is because people are going to reject the stone. The builders, Israel, came along and said, this stone, when they saw Jesus, no, this is not the Messiah. 
and they threw him away. And it was that stone that God chose to build his church. It's on that stone, Jesus Christ, that God chose to bring healing and restoration and hope to the world. But he's saying that some people are going to mock this stone. They're going to reject it, and some will renounce it. So why do we want God to build us up? Why do we build our lives on the word or the message of God? Why do we build our lives on Jesus? Well, in Isaiah chapter 40, we get a good reason for that. Uh, before I get to that, um, Isaiah chapter 40, I'm going to go ahead and read that first. I, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 6, I'll read it uh, as it's on the screen. It says, A voice says, Call out. Then he answered, What shall I call out? And this is what he's to call out. All flesh is grass, and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. I quoted this two weeks ago because Peter quoted it earlier in the letter. But the reason we want to build ourselves on the foundation of Christ is because the word of the Lord, the message of the Lord, endures forever. You may build yourself up for a season. You may see positive results for that, and that's good. I hope you see positive results in your life. But if you want to see results that will endure forever, you have to build upon the Lord. Because one day, we will pass away. And if it's not built on the Lord, it will not last. The beginning of that chapter, because I was, after I quoted it, I went and looked at it this afternoon, and I was like, so what, what's all happening around that verse instead of just looking at that one? And I thought of this, and I want you to take this away. Isaiah chapter 40, it's at the very beginning, verse 1. And it's talking about comfort for God's people. Do you want comfort in your life? It says, comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. I read that and I was like, that's good. That's what I want to do in life. I want to comfort the people of God. I want to share with you what God has done for you through Jesus. That he's forgiven you of your sins. That there's hope for your life. That there's identity that he has for you. That there's purpose that he has for you. And that there's a foundation you can build your life upon that you will never have to worry about going away. But one day, if you're building your life yourself, on what you call wise, on what the world says wise, one day you're going to meet an enemy that you cannot win, that you cannot beat. And that enemy is death. One day we will all pass away. Billy Graham died this week. 99 years old. He lived a long, productive life. He saw many people come to faith in Christ through his ministry. And as well as he lived his life, death still came for him. I had forgotten about this, but I actually went to one of his crusades when I grew up in Arkansas. And I was there as all these people flooded out of the stands to go down and pray and give their lives to Christ. 
What a great man of God. But even for him, our bodies fade like the grass of the field. But guess what? The word of the Lord endures forever. Here's a quote I've heard like 87 times this week because it's all over the news. It's a famous quote of Billy Graham. He says, I wish I could speak like him. I'm not going to try it because I would fail. But this is what he said. He said, someday you will read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't believe a word of it. I shall be more alive than I am now. I will just have changed my address. I will have gone into the presence of God. Isn't that great? That's the hope God gives us in Christ, that yes, even though we die, we don't die to be done with, but we enter into the presence of God. He's alive now because he built his life on the word of God, the message of God, and he trusted in the grace and mercy of God given to us through Jesus. And the good news for me and you is that we don't have to be Billy Graham to receive that mercy and that grace. That whether you acknowledge him on the cross at the dying moment like the thief did with Jesus, the last moment of your life, or whether you lived your entire lives, the inheritance is the same, the kingdom of God. Stuart Smalley in SNL skit spoke words over his lives and they were just simply his own. The negative and the positive. If we live lives where we're only speaking our words over our lives or we're speaking words the culture deems wise, then we're going to run out of strength and eventually we're going to fail. And that's a guarantee for a life of misery and frustration. And I, for one, am tired of frustration. Psalm 127, verse 1. I believe I have it. Yeah, and it's also printed on your outline. It says, Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord builds the house, and you are the house, it will be all for nothing. But when the Lord builds the house, guess what? That house is going to endure forever. It endures forever. The word of the Lord endures forever. So stop building yourself up with powerless words. Eventually you'll start beating yourself up. You'll go from building yourself up to beating yourself up because you fell short. But instead, surrender yourself to the Lord and allow him to build you up with his powerful, life-giving, enduring words. So allow the Lord to set your identity I mean, honestly, who knows your identity better than the one who created you? Let the Lord set your purpose in life. Who knows your purpose better than the one who gave you life? And let him be your security. Who can you trust more than the one who created the world, has the power to raise the living, uh, raise the dead to eternal life, and the one who has sent his son to die on the cross for you and me so that we never have to feel the sting of death. Let yourself be built up by the Lord and you will endure forever. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for, um, for your word that does endure forever. Thank you, Lord, that you are a God who, who loves his children, who gives us identity. 
who gives us purpose, who comforts us with your word. Thank you, Lord, that, uh, that we have an opportunity to do something special with our lives. And that special something is to surrender it to you. Whether we surrender it to you as Lord tonight for salvation because we never have, or whether tonight we surrender to you realizing that somehow we've tried to take the reins of our life again and steer in the direction that we want to go because we think we know best and, and we're tired and we're frustrated. Lord, I pray that we would surrender control again tonight and we would say, I trust you. I trust you. I know that you are good. I know that unless you build it, it will not last. And Lord, I want to last. I give you my heart in Jesus' name. Amen.